Ellie. Ellie is our reader. Okay, Ellie's going to come up, and Ellie is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Woo! A lot of woos this morning. I like the energy, guys. Uh, so we are going to be in Isaiah all throughout Advent. Ellie is going to be reading for us out of Isaiah 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can feel free to open there. Uh, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. And then if, you, if not, uh, we'll have the verses uh, up on the screen for you so you can, you can follow along. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we trust that you are here with us this morning by your Holy Spirit that you desire to speak to us, to move in, Lord, and to change our hearts. And we pray that you would do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start this morning by asking, uh, how, many of you, how many of you traveled for Thanksgiving? Oh, wow, okay. Uh, how many of you flew? Drove? A lot of driving. Okay, how many of you have your Christmas tree up already? Nice, right? How many of you have it decorated with the lights on? Okay, a little bit fewer of you. I get it, I get it. Uh, how many of you, are any of you Christmas light people? Like, do you guys put Christmas lights up? Or how many of you have your Christmas lights up? Fewer. <laughs> well, we got one family. Uh, yeah, raise it proud. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, right? How many of you, let's, let's, let's see this. How many of you um, know who you are buying all of your Christmas gifts for this Christmas? Like, is that a thing, right? Like, in my family, we have to, like, draw names. So maybe you have that very organized sister-in-law who has already done the name drawing. In my family, that's my wife. She's that to everybody else. I have to remind myself who it is I'm actually buying gifts for. So let's just say you know at least some of the people you're buying gifts for. How many of you have already purchased and taken advantage of the Black Friday deals? Okay. How many of you even know what your plans are for Christmas Day? Like, do you know when you're leaving, where you're going, what time, how you're getting there, all of, yep, no. Okay. Some of you. He, here's what I'm trying to do. Is just to acknowledge uh, that this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, sometimes it feels like getting on a water slide at a theme park, doesn't it? Like you, like you cross your arms, cross your chest, cross your legs, and they just push you down, and you're just waiting until you come out at the end. 
It's, it's a rush. It's a blur. And this sense of there's always something to do, it builds up on us and it sits on us. And church can just be a part of that. Like it's one of the things that we have to check off in this time because Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, because it's like this is about Jesus, so we got to be here. Then we can move on to the next thing. What this morning is all about, and the next, the Sundays between now and Christmas, is us yelling, stop, stop. That God has something for you. That in the midst of all of our busyness, that God is speaking to us. That even this morning, that there is something that he desires to grow in your heart. And this morning, what God is talking to us about through his word is he's talking to us about hope. Right? Last week we talked about how you, you and I cannot survive without hope. And that's not just like, a, like, a, like a cheesy Christian platitude, oh, everyone needs hope. Like that is biologically, medically true. That if you do not have hope in your life, you will not make it. That hope for us as people is a necessary part of us living. So last week we talked about the necessity of hope. This week we're going to be talking about how we hope. So how are we going to put that hope into practice? How are we going to live that out in our day-to-day lives? What is true about us as people so often is that we have forgotten how to hope. Just think for a second about your experience of Christmas, right? and the difference between your experience of Christmas and maybe a child's experience of Christmas, that your hope for what is under the Christmas tree, um, I don't even think that's an appropriate word for it, right? That's for a lot of reasons. One of them is that you bought the things that are under the Christmas tree, so you know what's there. Or you didn't, but the people who bought the things that are under the Christmas tree, you gave them a list, right? And you gave them a, a very calculated list based on the person that you were giving the list to. Like you're aware of their budget and how much to ask for based on and how to prioritize to ask, right? Am I, is anyone else like this? Or you have someone who is giving you a gift who doesn't ask what you want and so you've also stopped hoping because you know what kind of gifts they give. <laughs> oh, more ill-fitting shirts. Thank you so, right? Like, so our, our hope, even around this idea of Christmas, it illustrates for us how much we have let go of that and forgotten how to hope in our lives. And let me be very clear. I have zero interest in helping you recapture the magic of Christmas in your life, okay? That is not what this is about. This is about the fact that we as people are desperate for hope. And a hope that is so much bigger than Christmas time. That is what God is going to speak. That's what God is speaking to us about through his word this morning. And he's doing it through the prophet Isaiah. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be in this prophetic book, and we've got to spend just a minute talking about what the heck the book of Isaiah is about, because otherwise it could be very confusing, right? So the prophets were these people that essentially God sent, these men, God sent to his people to, to yell at them, stop. Wake up. That was the role of a prophet. That God's people, uh, they had gotten really off track. And so he sent these messengers to wake them up. You know, like to, to dump cold water, jump cold water on them, slap them across the face, right? Have an intervention. 
And not like the friendly, kind of like joking intervention banner that for some reason my roommates and I had after we graduated. Like, what? I think it was from a TV show. I don't know. Not like a serious, like, hey, things are off the rails. You got to wake up. That was the role of a prophet. And a prophet would do this through a mix of warnings and encouragements. One of the things the, pro- the prophets would do is they would talk about the future that was coming. They would talk about future disaster that might be coming, and they would also talk about future hope that would be coming. But it's really important as we talk about uh, the, that we talk about how the prophets um, thought about the future that they were telling the people was coming. Okay? So have you ever seen those like cardboard Christmas ornaments uh, of like a manger scene maybe? And I got a hand back there. Okay, yeah, someone's got one of those on their tree. I appreciate that. And so, the, you know, what you might see in this picture is like there's a little, like there's a, you know, like a manger with a little baby. And then there's like a Mary. It's, you know, this is quick drawing, people, you know, and then a little sheep over here, right? And then behind that, there's like, there's the main, there's the, there's the, what is it, the barn itself. And then behind that, there's like a palm tree and some stars, like a moon. Okay. You, you, you get what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yes, thank you. I'm glad somebody's with me this morning. Okay, so, oh, geez. Well, give me just a second here. Well, this, this is from a few weeks ago. Okay. So when a prophet was looking at this future picture that God had painted for them, this is what they saw. They saw the entire Christmas ornament. But really, what's going on is that there are layers to that future that they're foretelling, right? So there's a layer here, and there's a layer here, and there's a layer here, and there's time in between. So the first layer of that prophecy is always or often about uh, the return from exile. Then the second layer of that is the coming of Jesus, The final layer of that is his return. Oh, that's confusing. Return from exile, okay. The prophet didn't know that there were layers, though, to what he was seeing. All he could see was this picture. That's what he's talking about. But really what's going on is that there are all of these layers. But what the prophet was trying to do for the people who were right here, which is the people that he was originally speaking to and writing to, is he was trying to get them to hope, to see, to wait for this time that they would return from exile. He was preparing their hearts for that. But they came back from exile and they realized, hey, there's still more. There's still more that we're looking for, still more that we're longing for. That was the coming of Jesus. And all in this period, you know what the people were doing? They were hoping and they were waiting. We are on the other side of this coming, but we are still waiting for the second coming. And in that space, what we're doing is we're hoping and we're waiting and we're longing. It's the same thing. And so the book of Isaiah is incredibly relevant for us because not only has that future not fully come, but it teaches us how to be a people who are waiting for, who are hoping for that future to to come in its fullest form. Are you with me? And what this passage teaches us this morning, we're going to talk about three kind of key ways it teaches us how to hope. What this passage teaches us is that hope is about the direction of our hearts. 
that how we hope is that we redirect our hearts. Hope is about the direction of our hearts. Hope requires us to tell the truth. And hope is about seeing the death that com- or the life that comes out of death. So the direction of your heart that it requires telling the truth that there's peace from war or life from death. That's where we're going this morning. Let's talk about the fact that hope has to do with the direction of our hearts. We see that here very clearly in the first uh, or the second verse of our passage. Isaiah says, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. And so the, the visual picture that Isaiah is painting is, uh, have any of you ever visited the Rocky Mountains? Or like flown over the Rocky Mountains? Right? The, it, the land is totally flat. And then all of a sudden, these mountains spring up out of the plains. That's kind of the picture of what Isaiah is laying out here for us, is that the ground is flat, and yet when you look up and you see the horizon, it's filled with these mountains. But the, beyond all of that, like the range of mountains, there's one mountain that is bigger than all the rest. And that mountain, it captures your, your, captures your vision. It takes your breath away. That's beautiful. And it's more than just like a visually arresting image. That What Isaiah tells us is that, is that people are being drawn toward it. That there's something that's magnetic about this mountain. That people are desiring, are, are desiring it. They're attracted to it. They're moving toward it. people from every nation, all kinds of people that as, as you and I, as, as we are being drawn toward this mountain, that we look around us and we realize there are other people who are, being drawn it, drawn, who are being drawn toward it as well. And he uses this language of water. All the nations shall flow to it. Well, water doesn't flow to a mountain. Water flows away from a mountain. So there's a magnetism here, an attraction here that's far greater than what we experience kind of in our natural world. That what Isaiah is teaching us is that's the way our hearts work. That hope is a matter of the heart. that hope is about us being drawn or attracted to something, moving towards something that we see as good and true and beautiful that fills our vision. You might say, well, obviously hope is about the heart. Because when we think about hope, we think about kind of like warm fuzzies. But when we get into the weeds of how to hope, the way that we typically start with ourselves is by telling ourselves the truth of what we want to be hoping in. Well, Jesus has come, Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, so I have hope, afterlife, death. Okay, so uh, we're, we're telling ourselves what's true. Telling ourselves what is true, that matters. And at the same time, hope is so much more than a statement of what's true. Hope is about what's happening in our hearts. It's about what we're being drawn toward in our lives. 
There's an author, James K.A. Smith. He says it like this in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, the implicit picture of being human is dynamic. To be human is to be for something, to be oriented towards something, directed towards something. To be human is to be on the move, pursuing something, after something. We're like existential sharks. I love that sentence. We're like existential sharks. We have to move to live. We're not just static containers for ideas. We are dynamic creatures directed towards some end. That's true about you. That's true about me. That's true about us as people. We are existential sharks. We have to move to live. We are always moving toward something. So where are you moving? What are you moving toward in your life? That can be kind of an overwhelming question, right? Let's just talk about today. What is the goal, what is the hope that is driving the way that you are living today? Is it safety? Is it control? Comfort? your love for other people, your love for yourself? That we're all existential sharks. We're moving to live and we are moving toward something. But here's what this scripture tells us. says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that on top of that mountain that Isaiah is talking about, this mountain that's lifted up above all other mountains, that what is at the top of that mountain is the temple of God. But his picture is, the, is what we are going to be drawn to, this future that is coming, is that we are moving toward this place where at the very tip top of that mountain is the temple of God, this place that God dwells. What Isaiah is telling the people and what he's reminding us is that ultimately all of our hopes point us toward the one who created us. Because the one who created us is the one for whom we were created that all of our desires, all of the desires that are sitting in your heart, uh, ultimately, if you were to peel back the layers and ask yourself, what am I really looking for here? What you would find is that what you are really looking for is God. That what you were really hoping for is a God who is looking for you. Just think about our idea, our, our desire to be safe, right? This thing that we or so many of us are pursuing for us, for our kids, for our family, for the people that we love. If we could just be safe, if we could create kind of this safety net around us that, that what we're saying is, what I wanna know is that it's all gonna be okay. Can you tell me it's gonna be okay? And what do I have to do to make sure that for me and for the people that I love, it's all gonna be okay? Can you get that for yourself or the people that you love? And that's impossible, and we, we, we know that, and yet it's what we can bend so much of our lives toward. And what we see as we start to pull back the layers is our desire for safety, for is it all gonna be okay? Ultimately, that the only place that that's met is in a God who promises that everything is working out for your good. 
even when you don't understand it and even when it's really hard. Our desire for is it going to be okay is ultimately a desire to be found in God. It's true about our desire for control. If I could make the world, be, if, I could, if I could arrange my life, if I could make it like it needs to be, if I could, if I could get my plan and picture of how life uh, ought to work out in, and bring that into reality, then things would be okay. Then I would finally have the happiness, the joy, the whatever that I'm looking for. We start to pull back the layers on that. Right, what, what you are looking for, what I'm looking for is the reassurance of knowing that someone who loves me is in control. That someone who has my best interests at heart is, is out there and is not asleep at the wheel. That ultimately that desire is for God. And we could do that with any of our desires. It's true for our desire for sex even, that what's there is, our, is, a, is really a desire for intimacy, an intimacy that is uninterrupted, an intimacy that says, I love you no matter what, an intimacy that says, with me there's no rejection. And where is that ultimately found? But in God. That what all of our desires point us toward is toward, ultimately, toward the, toward the Lord. That's where our hope is found. And what Isaiah is doing is he's waking people up to the hope that's, that's in their hearts. What he's doing for us is waking us up to say, do you realize that you have a river of desire that is flowing out of you and it is so strong that it cannot be dammed up? That all of your efforts, to, all of our efforts to control and to dam and to, to channel that desire is, is to take this thing that can feel uncontrollable in, our, uncontrollable in our lives and attempt to manage it. And what Isaiah is saying here is, no, that, is a, that desire is a good thing because ultimately what that desire does is it leads you to the Lord if you will let it. So how we hope first is to acknowledge, to wake up to the desires that God has put within us. Are you aware of those things in your own life? Like what you're desiring? What you're hoping for? A lot of us aren't. And many of us aren't awake to the desires that are in our own hearts because to be a person who is awake to the desire in our hearts is to welcome and accept pain as it comes into our lives. But being a people of hope is painful. It hurts, it's hard. Because hope uh, to hope means to acknowledge that there's a gap between the way that I wish the world was, the way that I wish my life was, and the way that it is. To be aware of that is hard. So what we often want to do as people is find a way to tap out. How do I push that desire down? How do I medicate it? How do I deal with it so I don't have to feel the pain of the unmet desire anymore? 
Listen to what Isaiah tells us. He says, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we might walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That what Isaiah is saying is that our God desires to reveal himself, that our God delights in truth being known. He delights in truth being known about himself and he delights in truth being known about the world. And we see kind of different, different kinds of revelation play out in Scripture. Sometimes when God reveals himself, he gives people a knowledge that they didn't have before. He like brings new information into the picture. Sometimes what God does when he is revealing truth or revealing himself is he simply opens up our eyes to see the world as it actually is. That's what Psalm 19 is all about. When we open up our eyes to see the world as it actually is, what we realize is that this world is hard. It's full of pain. That suffering is, is, an, is it's not even a necessary part of, of being a human. It's, it's, it's built into what being a human is like. And yet, it's in this place of acknowledging our suffering and, and embracing it that that hope has actually grown in our lives. Romans 5 says it like this. This was our call to worship, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, yeah, hope. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. But the seedbed of hope in our lives is our suffering. So when we, when, we, when we work to blind ourselves to the suffering or the pain in our own lives, we are working against the very hope that God wants to, to birth in us, to, to, to cause to sprout in us. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, oh, well, I guess that means I can't be a very hopeful person then. Right? My life is pretty good. I've got a lot of blessings. So if suffering is required to hope, then I guess there's no hope for me. I just want to tell you, uh, that's not true. That the nature of being a person on this earth is that you are living in a world that is full of suffering and it's true about your life. And I know, I know, there are people in other parts of the world, even people here in the city that are going through things that you would say are so much harder than what you're going through. That may be true. We also call that pain shaming, okay? It doesn't get anybody anywhere. That that way of blowing up other people's problems is a way of shrinking our own and trying to convince ourselves that there's not actually pain in our lives, but there is. There are all kinds of ways that we try to get around this pain. It may be that we blow up other people's sufferings and try to shrink our own. It may be that there's kind of like a biblical cover for it, you know? Well, the Bible says rejoice in all circumstances, so... I can't really talk about the pain that I'm experiencing because I'm supposed to rejoice. Guys, Paul tells us to rejoice in all circumstances after he has listed off all of the ways that he's experienced suffering in his life. Paul tells us, right? I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was left for dead. And then he tells us to rejoice in all things. 
There's an acknowledgement there, even from Paul, that the suffering that we're in is very real. Otherwise, the encouragement to rejoice in all circumstances doesn't even make sense. Or it could be that the way that, that you are avoiding kind of the pain, the suffering, you know, this is one of my favorite strategies for avoiding it, is I just talk about it a lot. And that the, the presentation of my pain becomes a kind of performance that distances me from it. Sometimes that comes out as complaining. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, well, let me tell you about it. When I do that, I'm not actually talking about the pain in my own heart. I'm just narrating for you the experiences of it. I can do it, uh, I think we can do it at times with counseling, right? The counseling can be a very good thing, and yet we can come to believe the lie that if I could just understand why I'm experiencing pain, that then I can get above it and around it and control it. The call of this passage is that we would engage with the suffering that is the truth and the reality of our day-to-day lives. Can I give you, I'm just gonna give you one in for that, one way of kind of starting the ball rolling uh, as you're thinking about that for your own life with the question, where have you experienced disappointment? Like where in your life are you disappointed? Which in many ways is kind of the inverse of hope. Where have your hopes not been fulfilled? Where have they been missed or unmet? Like, do you have relationships in your life where you have been disappointed? Is anybody with me? Has anyone experienced that? Right? What relationship have we not experienced that in? With family, with friends, in our marriages? What about with church? Ever experienced disappointment here? Yeah, well, maybe in other churches. No, even here, with these people in your small group. Disappointment in the way that your life has unfolded? Disappointment in the career that you have or you don't have or the way that the career path has or hasn't gone? I I will just tell you this. for me, I grew up here, and you guys have heard me talk about my grandma before. Harder saying, hey, when you grow up, you're going to do great things, big things. And sometimes I look around in my life and I think, is this the big thing, grandma? This is really hard. And there are ways that it's not what I thought it would be. If we're going to be a people who are, are going to be a people of hope, we've got to acknowledge those places of disappointment in our own lives. It's part of the process of hoping. And it's so central to this process of hope because here's what Isaiah tells us in the next verse. It's, he says, he shall judge between nations, shall decide disputes for many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That what Isaiah is saying is there is a time coming when the implements of war, the weapons that we pick up to fight with each other are gonna be turned into, into implements of peace. This is, a, this is a flash to the Garden of Eden. He's saying all of these weapons that we use to fight each other, to, offend, to defend, to attack, or that's what a sword is for. It attacks other people. It also defends other people's sword blows. 
But those things are going to be turned in, into tools that are used for farming, for bringing life into the world. Isaiah says that day is coming. And the ultimate picture of a weapon being turned into a tool to, that brings life is, is the cross, isn't it? That the cross was a weapon of war. It was a tool of oppression. It was a way of shaming and beating into submission conquered peoples. A symbol of death, of despair, of utter humiliation. And that is, that is the cross on which our Jesus was hung. The one who would judge between the nations, decide disputes for many people, the one that our heart is, is, is drawn toward, that he himself would be drawn toward, would move toward with intention the cross. And in that very place of death and violence and oppression, that what he would bring out of it is our life that what would flow out of it is abundant peace for you and for me and for our world because it was through the cross that Jesus gets into the tomb that leads to his resurrection. It's why the cross, which is this symbol, like we said, of oppression, is something that we wear around our necks and on our wrists, have tattooed on our arms because Jesus has taken it and turned it into a picture of peace as a tool for cultivating, uh, cultivating peace in our world. That the story that started off as a tragedy, it ends as a fairy tale. So yes, we're willing to see and acknowledge our suffering, to call it what it is, because we are a people who have the hope, who have the assurance that our Jesus is the kind of Jesus who brings life out of death. And this is how Romans 5 finishes. It tells us that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And our hope, friends, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been and is being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That what is true about you if you are in Christ is that God's love is always being poured over and into your life. Always. It is always true. And it is especially true in the places of suffering that you and I are so afraid to acknowledge. That in those places, your Jesus is pouring out his love over you. And those are the places that we most desperately need to experience it. Because what our suffering so often tells us is that we are alone. That suffering so often, it, it, it has, there are so many tapes that play in our heads that are developed for us that come to fruition in those times of pain. It makes me think of one of Taylor Swift's new songs. <laughs> Don't laugh, you all listen to it too, unless this is East Nashville and everyone's too cool for that. I will tell you, I'm not too cool for it, okay? <laughs> the song is You're On Your Own Kid. From sprinkler splashes to fireplace ashes, I gave my blood, sweat, and tears for this. I hosted parties and starved my body like I'd be saved by a perfect kiss. This song is all about desire. 
But there's this hope that she had that she gave everything for. And what she realized is that it, it was actually, that it, it disappointed her. That what she had poured her hope into was not, uh, it couldn't hold up. And the lesson that she takes from it, you're on your own, kid. You always have been. Isn't that true for us? That the narratives that have been forged in our hearts, the things that we are always telling ourselves because of our suffering is, I'm alone. No one cares. No one can understand. I am disappointed, and that's because I'm a disappointment. And in that place, the love of God is constantly being poured out on you, all the time. A love that says, you are never alone, that says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, that says, I have come, I have come and I was looking for you before you were ever looking for me. That is the, the searching love of Jesus that is coming after you. And it's that love that strengthens us in hope, that teaches us to say, no, I, I, I can acknowledge what is true in the world around me and let it move my eyes to the future that I know is coming. That I get to experience the love of Jesus now constantly pouring out in my life, especially in the places of my suffering, a love that is telling me that I am not alone even when it's so hard for me to see, a love that is telling me that even when God feels absent and far away, that it's not true, that he's closer than a brother. But I get to experience that now in the places of my suffering and yet know that I don't experience it as fully, that we don't experience it as fully as we will on the day that Jesus comes back again. And that strengthens us for hope, for looking forward to the day that's coming. So house of Jacob, church, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. In this Advent season, would you be willing to acknowledge the pain of unmet desire in your own life? And what would that look like? I will tell you for me, and I, will, I would say probably for you too, there are things that it's gonna require you to put down and things that will require you to put up, pick up. There are a lot of rhythms built into my life that are all about me distracting myself. I'll tell you one of the things I will be putting down is uh, checking the news on my phone. As a go-to for me, the doom scrolling, I love it, so distracting. I'm gonna put that down to be able to engage and, and acknowledge and even notice the longings in my own heart. What is that for you? And what is Jesus calling you to pick up I would encourage you, would you in this time, each day, would you be willing to set aside, uh, let's just say, five minutes of being silent, of practicing that, of letting the Lord meet you there? And then in that place, as you're acknowledging noticing the things in your heart that you're desiring, the unmet desires, the longings of your heart the pain and the disappointment, would you allow Jesus to start to pour his love into your heart through the, would you start to notice the love that Jesus is pouring into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been giving to you? Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Jesus, we trust that you desire to meet with us. 
Lord, we confess that our desires so often uh, are, are so much smaller uh, than we want, are so much larger than we want to acknowledge, Lord, that we shrink them down as a way to, to hide our disappointments even from ourselves. And Jesus, as we sing, as we worship you now, would you wake us up? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.